The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. So if you're kind of visiting or you're here with us, we're on this journey of our series called Relationship Matters, um, and we're looking at various types of relationships. And the, the big idea is, I guess, to, to bring more understanding of the variety of relationships that we're all a part of, um, and also to think through, because our theme for the year is faithful, um, to think through what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of whatever relationships that we might find ourselves in, whether it's in our singleness, whether it's in friendships, and whether it's in dating, marriage. Uh, how do we be faithful followers of Jesus uh, in the midst of a culture that has very, very different ideas about all of these relationships? And how do we do that in a way that honors God and that is a blessing to each other in our church community. So that's kind of where we're going. Uh, this morning, uh, it's a two-part series on marriage. And uh, before all the single people switch out, I just want to say there's plenty of stuff in here for you to kind of grab a hold of, uh, even if it's not, you know, specifically on marriage, you know, for you about marriage. It's, it's broader than that. The biblical principles we'll engage with today relate to any relationship, all relationships. And I hope that there's plenty there for you, can, for you to take away as well. So what we're going to do is, uh, this two-part series, today we'll mainly engage with all the biblical kind of material, and then next week we're going to be looking at more the practical um, stuff, and hopefully between those two, um, there'll be plenty of helpful stuff for you. Now, before we kind of launch in, let me pray, uh, and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for relationships, uh, because you are a relational God. You, you, you are a trinity and we are so grateful that you brought us into not just relationship with yourself, but also with each other. And so we ask for your help today, Lord. We know relationships can be messy and tricky and challenging, but we also know relationships can be a great source of joy and delight. And so we pray, Father, as we continue to journey through this series, that you will give us wisdom and you will give us the grace to hear what your Spirit is saying to us and give us the strength to push against some of the cultural values in our day that are, Lord, eroding our confidence in what the Bible teaches about these relationships, that we might stand firm and remain faithful to following Jesus in the context of all of these relationships. And we pray these things in His name. Amen. Amen. So as we kind of uh, launch into this series, I guess a couple of cautions I want to say. And also, uh, there's just a lot of stuff that I, I wanted to get through. So I feel a little bit like when I did the suffering series. Not that marriage is suffering. Just not at all. But it's just that there's a lot of stuff I, I want to try and get through, and it, it'll feel a little bit like an information dump, so I, I apologize for that up front, but I've done the slides in such a way that it kind of summarizes everything I'm going to say. So if you're taking notes or, you know, if you take photos, I notice that some of you take photos, it will be a good summary of everything I'm going to say today. So we're going to be working a lot from the slides. So a couple of cautions. So my title is Finding Joy in Marriage. Um, that's really what we'll be looking at this week and next week. Um, and so some cautions as we start off. Firstly, uh, this message and next week's message is in the context of the, the journey we went through in Ephesians, uh, particularly the last message I preached on, uh, that was Ephesians 5.21, we looked at the household code, and so if you didn't hear that, I encourage you to hear that, that's kind of the biblical basis that 
holds all of this stuff up. That's the foundation. So I don't want to go over and repeat all of that stuff. Just listen to the message. So I want to say that up front. Second thing, don't cut and paste. Okay? You might hear stuff that I'll say today. Don't just go boom, boom into my marriage because I recognize every marriage is different and every couple is different. So you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to think through some stuff. You're going to have to talk through some stuff with your husband, with your wife, and go, how does that look in our marriage? What does that mean for our marriage? So don't just go, you know, oh yeah, Hillary said this, or the Bible says this, and that just means this. Well, it, it might not. So just be aware of that flaw in, in how you apply this. Um, second caution, beware of the flesh and Satan. What I mean by that is when you hear a message like this, it's so easy to nudge the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> Resist the urge to do that. And it's so easy also for us, because we're broken, sinful people, to take God's good, true, beautiful, holy word and twist it and use it as a weapon against each other. Guard against that. Be really careful that you don't do that. Because if you do do that, you might be at risk of doing what Jesus told us not to do, which is focusing on the speck in somebody else's eye and not seeing the log in your own. So I really want you to come to this with the openness of heart that says, God, what are you saying to me? How do I need to change? How do I need to grow? How do I need to respond to the conviction of your Holy Spirit and bring change into my life that will bring change into my marriage? Okay, so that's another caution. Third one, the approach, like I said, that we're going to take is to go broader, wide, not deep. Okay, so we're going to cover a lot of stuff this morning and over next week. And so I, my encouragement to you is there might be one or two or three things that you go, that was great, really helpful. Just go with that and not try and remember everything that was said. Okay, we're going to try and, and again, like I said, I, Please don't sit there going, I hope he speaks about this because I really need to hear that. Because I, I just, it's impossible for me to do that. But I hope that by focusing on broad biblical principles that you will be able to identify the principles that relate to your particular unique situation, problem, need, uh, whatever condition your marriage is in and be able to get wisdom and life and joy from God's word because it's living and active. So that's as a starting point. So 10 principles I'm going to try and cover today. I'm going to go through them reasonably quickly, but if we don't, that's okay because I've got next week. So we'll pick up wherever we leave off and we'll go. Number one, and this is probably the most important thing I want to say to you. This is the starting point. You've got to get this one right. Be transformed by love. And what do I mean by that? Well, early in Jesus' ministry, at his baptism, the Father spoke these profound things over him. He said, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. I want to say to you, church, if you start any relationship, not just marriage, out of not knowing those three things, it is doomed to fail. Because you will look to your friend, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your parents, your, your children, whatever, to meet a deep void in you that only God can meet in you. You, you have to start knowing that you are, you are a son or a daughter of God in Christ. That you are loved 
more than any human being will ever be able to love you. And that you are approved, accepted, valued, precious, chosen, delighted in by the creator of the universe. When you have that and you love out of that, it changes everything. But when there is a brokenness in you that wants to grasp and grab and latch onto that in another person, no other human being is designed to carry that weight. It will crush them and it will leave you perpetually disappointed, frustrated, angry, empty. So if, if you hear nothing else, I want to say to you, gaze often at the cross. Gaze often at the cross. You know, um, in John, John goes on about God's love, and he says we can only love others if we know first God's love for us. That, that's the only pure kind of love. Every other love will be corrupted because it's selfish, because we're trying to get something from that love that only our Heavenly Father can give. So let Him speak that over you. So don't look to your spouse. Know that you are loved and gaze often at the cross. That's the summary. Number one, that, critical, critical thing. Second thing is don't, don't forget the priority relationship that God has called us into, which is to love Jesus first, foremost. The greatest commandment Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. All, every part of you is about loving God first. And, and so much so that Jesus said some really radical things. He says, you know, if, if you have to choose loyalty between your closest human relationships and following me, the choice is simple. Follow me. And he used extreme language, like, you know, even if it means hating your mother, your father, and your husband, no, his wife, I think it says, follow me. Follow me. And that's really, really important. And then Jesus said, the second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself, but get the order right. Jesus first. Now, over my years of pastoral ministry, I can't tell you the number of people, and I know it's kind of touched a little bit on this about dating believers and non-believers, but I've seen it play out in marriages where one partner, their focus on Jesus begins to shift. I don't know if there's any harder challenge to take a Christian couple through than that one. Where they don't want to go to church anymore. They don't want to pray together anymore. Their heart for Jesus has grown cold. It is the most difficult thing to deal with. But you know, Jesus calls us to love Him first. It doesn't mean you have to not come to church. It doesn't mean you have to stop praying. It doesn't mean you don't read your Bible. It doesn't mean that you neglect your own relationship with Jesus. Jesus says that's the number one priority. So stay true to that. Guard your heart against your spouse taking you away from your number one loyalty to Jesus. Be intentional about growing and nurturing your own relationship with Jesus and then your relationship together as a husband and a wife before the Lord. Principle two. Number three, it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime. This is, this is everywhere in the Bible. You know, statistically today, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And sadly, that statistic is now more and more reflected even in the church. But that's not God's design. In these passages in Matthew 19, Jesus talks about, you know, in the context of divorce, he's speaking to this and he says, in the beginning, it was not this way. God's heart is for two people to come together. In fact, God brings them together and, and, 
establishes them as his family that is covenanted together to be together for life. Now, Jesus goes on to say, look, because of our, our sinfulness and our brokenness and, and our, our, the mess and our insecurities and all the things we talked about in point one, often it doesn't end up that way. And marriages go through really difficult seasons and some sadly end up in divorce. But Malachi, you know, often, you know, is quoted as being this place where God's heart is seen for the, the, the pain and the unfaithfulness and, and the trauma and the tragedy that leads to divorce, but also that flows out of divorce. Because sometimes we think, oh, if I, if I just get divorced, it'll, it'll be great, it'll end all the pain. But there's so much pain on the other side of that too. And so while I I believe that God's heart grieves over broken relationships and marriages, I know that His heart also longs to love and heal and transform those broken by divorce and to give them hope and a future and to bring a story out of that pain that will still bring Him glory. To, To turn around what the enemy meant or sin brought about for disaster and destruction, but for good and glory. But that's how God meant it to be. And can I just say this? I'm going to say some really things that will probably get you out of you know, kilter today. That's okay. So often in many of our cultures, when we understand this thing about covenant, we just think that it's just quality of time. We just need to live together. Just endure. Live under the same roof. You know, we might have completely separate lives, flatmates, but, but we're, we're together. But I think that is a wrong understanding of the covenant of marriage. I think it's a covenant of love. As I read throughout the Bible, just read the Song of Songs, which is a picture of godly, beautiful marriage. That's also a picture in in an analogy of Christ's love for the church. And you look at Ephesians 5 and how it's described Christ's relationship. It's not just about enduring till one of us dies and counting down the days till that happens so that we can really be free. It's meant to be a kind of covenant that is about love and devotion and affection and intimacy and a kind of faithfulness that even if you never sleep with someone else, it doesn't mean you can be unfaithful in your heart or have ungodly emotional attachments to people at work because they listen to you and your wife doesn't or they respect you and your husband doesn't or whatever it is. Or having a cyber relationship with someone, an online relationship with someone, or allowing pornography into your life because you're not getting the intimacy you long for from your husband or your wife. It's, it's a bigger idea of covenant that I want to challenge you about today. You know, I was uh, doing, uh, for years I did relationships, uh, year nine camps at Regents Park doing relationships talks. And I was teaching on marriage and sex and stuff. And I had one of these teachers, one of the teachers who was there come to me. And he was quite an older gentleman in his 60s, close to retiring. And he said, oh, Hillary, that's all great and fine. But, you know, my wife and I, well, it's, it doesn't work like that for us. You know, we, we've raised our kids. We're Christians. We live together. And now that our kids are grown and they've gone out of home, now it's, it's my time to enjoy all the things that I haven't been able to enjoy. So, yeah, we're still together. But, you know, she does her thing and I do my thing. And we're just happy now because we're, we just get to do what we want. And I said to him, said, respectfully, I just don't think that's God's idea of Christian marriage. I I can understand how you've come to that place, but something went wrong way back here, and you got on a road that took you somewhere that God never intended for you to get to. He didn't like my answer. 
But I, I think that's what the Bible teaches. That it's a covenant of, of love and faithfulness. Not just a covenant of endurance till one of us dies. And hopefully that'll be soon so I can get on and have a great time. Number four. Fix your eyes on eternal things. What do I mean by this? You know, I mean as much as we love our marriages, we might love our spouses, Jesus makes it clear that it's temporal. You know, and in our culture, in all the rom-coms, they say, I love you forever. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's till death us do part. The covenant that God brings us into is for this life. Because in the next life, Jesus said, we won't be married. We'll be like the angels. We'll be all enjoying the richest, deepest intimacy that we've ever known in our life. There won't be a need for marriage. But sometimes we live our marriages out like it is forever. And we neglect the one thing that is actually forever, which is the kingdom of God. Which is why Paul, in the passage in 1 Corinthians 7, he actually speaks to single people and married people saying, look, you, you need to live your lives, whatever state you find yourself in, with the realization that there's only one thing that's eternal. That's the kingdom of God. This present world is perishing. It's going to be done. So what are you doing with your marriage that's building the one thing that's eternal? What are you doing with your marriage to serve God together? See, so many people, when they get married, they want to take a year off to just enjoy their marriage based on the Old Testament law that when you went to war, you know, you had a year off. Some of you might have read that, I think, Levitical law. Again, it's a misapplication of that scripture. They, they, they were given a year off for military service to enjoy their new wife or their new husband because they didn't know if they were going to come back from that war. And there was a whole lot of laws about raising up generation for land. and We don't live in that world. But the sad thing is, even if you think, okay, that's a good idea. Yeah, take some time off. Enjoy your marriage. Go on an extended honeymoon. Take a break from serving and ministering church. I've seen so many people not come back from that. Because they're like, oh, this is great. We have so much more time to do stuff as a couple now because we're not doing stuff at church as much anymore. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, you've lost focus on the bigger picture of the eternal worth of God's kingdom and you've made marriage something more important than God ever intended it to be. So you'll hear me say to you throughout these next two weeks, absolutely enjoy your marriage, work hard on it. And not just marriage, like I said, any relationship, any friendship, invest into it, work hard at it, delight in it, rejoice in it, absolutely. But keep it in perspective. It's not forever. The kingdom is. Live your life for that. Number five. This is a big one. We must leave if we want to cleave. This is from Genesis. And Jesus reiterates that in, in, in Matthew as well. And for some of us from different cultures, this is really, really tricky. But again, as a pastor... I have seen so many marriages get into so much difficulty because of the in-laws interfering. And because that couple have not, everyone's looking at each other. I said to you, look within, look within. This is, this is such a powerful biblical principle. 
And can I say that this principle was given in a time where families lived together even after they got married. And yet, God says, leave if you want to cleave. You, you can't do both. It's like a train, right? You can't couple onto a new carriage unless you uncouple from the one you're coupled to. It just doesn't work. And I've seen so many marriages where particularly one member of the, the husband or the wife's family moves in with them. Or the couple goes to live with one, of, one set of parents. And again, like, it's complicated because sometimes they can be a great help to you with, with childminding and babysitting and, and all of those things. But if you don't have clear boundaries and if that husband or, or wife is ever doubting the primary loyalty of their spouse, it's a disaster. And I've seen it happen in so many marriages that we've talked to where the husband will say, you know, we, we just can't get agreement because every time we agree on something, she'll go and talk to her parents and then come back and want to change everything. And it feels like she values their opinion more than she values our conversation. That's, that's kryptonite for your marriage. Leave if you want to cleave. See, biblically, when you get married, God sees a new family unit that you're accountable for. And yeah, you'll always be a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a friend. But those relationships and those loyalties can have to radically change when you get married. They don't disappear. And it's a good thing for those things not to disappear. But they need to radically change when you are now married. Your spouse needs to know that your primary loyalty and allegiance is to them. Leave to cleave. Number six. This is, a, this is a huge one too. These are big things, right? How we treat our spouse matters. This, this is, I mean, I, I'll just read you this, the verses on this one. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, listen to this, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. If, if you're you know, with someone who's, you know, God willing, you're not married to an unbeliever, but this Peter is addressing that scenario. But look, listen to what he says. The way you treat your husband can win them for Christ. It's that powerful. When you live out the gospel in your marriage, it has impact. But listen to what it goes on to say. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And there's so much in that, that. But listen to the last bit. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. Husbands, you could be a mighty prayer warrior, but if you treat your wife badly, God's not interested. According to 1 Peter, he's just not even listening to you. Have you ever thought that? You have a massive argument with your wife, you abuse her, yellow collar, all kinds of names, and then you go to prayer. God's going, what are you doing? Just go sort your marriage out. And in Malachi, the prophet says the same thing. You know, he says, you, you, you've been unfaithful to, to the wife of your youth, and you come and you bring your offerings and you bring your worship, and, and you, you're, you're upset because the Lord doesn't look with favor on your worship. And, and, and the prophet says, you know why? Because he's a witness to what happens at home. 
He sees what you're doing at home. And he's not pleased with how you're treating each other. And so then you think you can bring your worship before him and he will accept it with favor and bless you? Well, you're wrong. So, next slide, please. Some thoughts to take away. The three points. Here we go. So God takes seriously the vows that we make to love, to protect, to be faithful to our wives. God is a witness in our homes, even if the pastor never knows. I don't need to know, because God knows. He's the witness. He's there. In a Christian home, He's right there. And God is not pleased. He's grieved when these vows are violated. Number seven. Oh, we're making good progress. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is our model. And again, I, I unpack this in great detail when I talk from Ephesians, but I just want to say this again because I think this is really, 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 really important. This is Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Again, in, in the context of you know, Paul talking about, particularly in Ephesians 5, marriage, but in Colossians 3, Paul talks broader in the context of relationships that our model is Jesus, self-sacrificial love. Right? That's the model. All our relationships. So I, I want to say to you, lovingly, but strongly, if that is true, and I would dare say we would all agree that that would be true, then I, I don't think there's any room in any Christian marriage for any form of abuse, aggression, bullying, intimidation, harassment, rage, throwing things, tantrums, because I don't see Jesus doing any of that, except when he took a whip at a temple to drive out ungodliness. That's not your marriage. The only other time, or every other time I see Jesus, if, if we modeled the love of Jesus to our spouse and our husband, game changer. Game changer. I can't say that strong enough. There's just no place, biblically, in Christian marriage for any of that. That comes from our broken places. If you can put those points up. I had an interesting conversation when I was talking about this with a husband. He came to see me one time. And he said, oh, you know, Ephesians 5, Paul talks about wives submitting to your husband. And yeah, husbands loving their wives like Jesus. And, you know, I just wish my wife would submit, you know, and then I'd be able to love her more. So he said, help me understand what's going on here. You know, who, who should go first? You know, who, who, who does, who, who, should she go first and submit to me? Or should I go first and love? Okay, okay. I said, let me unpack Ephesians 5 for you. I said, Paul mentions wives first because he's actually trying to honor them in their cultural context. Right? Not that that's a theological statement that wives need to go first in marriage. I said, biblically and theologically, it's actually husbands that go first. Why? Because Jesus initiates reconciliation with broken sinners, right? Husbands always go first. We, we get to die first. That's, that's the biblical model. If Jesus is the example, Jesus always initiates. Jesus always reaches out. Romans 5 says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So husbands, you get to go first. You know, yeah, can I say this? In all my years of pastoral ministry, I have never found a wife 
who finds it hard to submit to a husband who is sacrificially loving her like Jesus. Never. Because they go first. I've not found it. Maybe it's here somewhere, man. You can tell me. I'm one of those people. My husband loves me like Jesus, but I just can't respect him. I, I would I just feel free to bust my myth. But you know, the, your wives, you're not off the hook. Because theologically, again, Jesus reaches out to all of us, not just husbands, as a first lover, as a first initiator, as someone who reaches out to all of us while we're sinners. So we all have to love that way in every relationship we're in. We all go first. We all go first. We don't wait for the other person to do all the right things so we can love them. We don't wait till my husband or my wife or my friend is more loving so then I can love them. No, that's not the Bible. The Bible says we love and love transforms. Number eight, God has created men and women differently. Now that's like, you know, really? You need to say that? <laughs> well, uh, uh, this is interesting. Uh, Genesis 1, 27, you, you know this. The Bible clearly says, and in our culture, people are pushing against this stuff, right? Patricia Wirakun will come and help us think more about that. But I just want to state the obvious. Because God has created us male and female, we are different. But you know, again, from my pastoral ministry, one of the things that causes most frustration in marriage is what? We want the other person to be more like us. Right? Now again, can I just say, I'm going to hugely generalize here. So please don't come to me afterwards and say, well, I'm a woman and I'm not like that. Or I'm a man and I'm not like that. Okay, fair enough. But, you know, there was a guy called Emerson Egerich, Egeriches, and he wrote a book called Love and Respect. Now, there's some interesting things in that book. But one of the things I love, so he picks up on the last verse of Ephesians 5, where Paul says, husbands, you are to love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And he asks this question. I wonder if Paul gave those two commands different commands to husbands and wives because he recognized something about the difference of the way God has created us to need different things in our relationship. And I thought, interesting thesis. And so his whole book is based on this idea that as men and women, we, we, and marriages in particular, we end up in these dances. And sometimes it's a negative downward spiral. And he says this, and I've seen it in my own marriage, and you probably have too. When when Dash does something that feels disrespectful to me, I tend to react in an unloving way towards her. And when I react in an unloving way towards her, she tends to disrespect me even more. And Edgar Richards says, that becomes a downward spiral that becomes toxic in your relationship. And so he proposes this thesis that if we could understand some of the unique things about how God has created us to need different things in our marriage, maybe we can turn the spiral around. Maybe we can create a different dance where we actually love and respect. Love and respect each other. And so he says that, you know, women generally, they, they desire closeness, affection. They desire security, loyalty, understanding, to be cherished, to be pursued. While men generally we desire respect. We desire companionship. 
We desire appreciation. We, we desire physical intimacy. We, we love to provide and to protect. There's something within us that longs for that. And I don't know if all the men can resonate with that and all the women here can resonate with that, but I certainly can. And I've seen this play out in lots of different relationships. You know, even statistically, they say when men are long-term unemployed, they go into a depression like no women ever do, generally. Because there's something about the way God has created us to be a worker that strikes at the very core of our identity. And you, if, if you've got kids, teenagers, boys and girls, I have had the joy of having one of each. And I have seen the difference in my son's eyes when I say to him, son, I'm so proud of you. I respect you. I think you're a good and godly man. Something in him lights up. I can say, son, I love you. And he appreciates that, but it's different. It's different. It's just different. And when I say to my daughter, and I'm, like, I'm going to try not to cry here, that she's beautiful and precious and that you know, I'm, I'm so amazed that God would entrust her with me all of those warm, gushy things. She lights up. But when I say, Ebony, I respect you, and, I'm, and, and I say all of those things, but it's different. So I wonder how different our marriages would be if we just understood how God's wired us differently and we leaned into it rather than being frustrated by it. You know, Gary Chapman wrote a book called Love Languages, which is so helpful because, again, it helps you understand that we speak different love languages and sometimes we might think we're communicating everything so well with the love language we're using, but our partner, who's our spouse, who's very different to us, might not be able to understand anything we're saying. So lean into the differences. Relate to each other in the unique ways that God has created us. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Two to go, and we'll pick it up next week. Let me just... Pray. Close, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that we are loved by you. Father, whether we're young or old, single, married, or single again after being married, Father, this is the one constant that will never change, that you love us in Jesus. You forgive us and you bring us into your family. You approve of us. You pursued us all the way to the cross. You look down on each and every one of us and you look into our hearts and we bring you delight and we bring you joy and you're so proud of us and you're so glad that we are your sons and your daughters. Wow. And Lord, because of that, you sent Jesus when we were broken, sinful, rotten, covered in sin and muck and filth, running 
in the opposite direction away from you. You sent Jesus to come and endure all that he did, to be forsaken by you, to experience the full weight of our rebellion and sin so that we may never have to ever be rejected by you. And no matter, Lord, what other humans do to us, and sometimes we do the most horrible things to each other, even those who are closest to us, we say and do really mean and hurtful things that just destroy our self-worth and our dignity and respect and value. But Lord, we never lose that with you. So I pray, Lord, that as we conclude this morning, that that would be our compelling vision to see Jesus on the cross dying for us, to see your loving hands reaching out to us to bring us into the most intimate union with the creator of the universe. And I pray that each one of us here, married, single, will hear you say, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you, and I am pleased with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go from here, grace will be with us, that we would abide in the love of Jesus and that we would walk in the power of your spirit. God, because we can't do marriage this way on our own strength. We just can't. But we don't have to because you've promised us the power of your Holy Spirit and the transforming work of your gospel to change us, to become more like Jesus. So we walk out of here, Lord, not with our heads hanging down under condemnation, but Lord, with our eyes lifted up to Jesus, knowing that he will be our shepherd and that your spirit will empower and strengthen us as we step out into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So husbands and wives, have some conversations. There's eight things you can talk about. Two more to come next week and a whole bunch of practical things. Resist the urge to blame. To say, if you only, then. But say, if I only, then. God bless you guys. Stick around for morning tea. Say hello to someone. Hug your husband or wife if you're married. Bless them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.